Hi, everybody. My name's Leo, and I'm an alcoholic. Oh, it's a great joy and pleasure for me to be able to be speaking to you here tonight. You've no idea how I've been longing to be in North Dakota at this time of year. You know how terrible the weather is in Los Angeles. <laughs> uh, I was flying, I had to fly, I was speaking in Detroit, so I was giving a uh, workshop on empowerment and, uh, and uh, recovery. And uh, some of you know the name of the man, he's dead now, but uh, Jack Boland, a great writer and speaker in the fellowship. I was speaking in Detroit. And then I had to fly to Denver, and then I had to get on one of those little, very small, we're talking small, planes, little cockamamie plane. It had no toilet. I'm not sure that it had a pilot. <laughs> um, but I managed to get here. And uh, I was met, some of you may know, by the way, on the aeroplane it was funny, because uh, uh, for some reason people on the plane, God knows why, but they wanted to talk to me. Um, and they said, where are you going? And I said, to uh, talk to an alcohol group. And they said, oh my God, they said, these alcoholics, they're all over the place now. I said, I know you're talking to one. <laughs> she fell into shock. Yes, she fell into shock. But uh, it's very nice. Uh, we landed, and uh, just for you to know, I was met uh, by uh, a nice man who knew me years ago, Alan, and his, uh, and his dear wife, uh, Dorothy, and they picked me up in their Buick. It's a Buick. And uh, it was a nice Buick. And uh, I sat at the front, and Dorothy sat at the back, and we came from, uh, where did we come from? Uh, Bismarck. Uh, the English have trouble with those names. Bismarck, that's right, Bismarck. Bismarck. And, uh, <laughs> good old German name, Bismarck, and, and we arrived here, and uh, like you, I see some smiling faces, so I realize you didn't eat here. I, I thought the waitress was alcoholic, <laughs> not recovering. I thought she was drunk because whatever I asked for, she didn't have. <laughs> Syria. I said, can I have some, uh, some cod? She said, no. I said, can I have any fish? She said, no. I said, can I have some meat? She said, buffalo. <laughs> so anyway, but you know, the amazing thing is that uh, we're here. We are here, and uh, it's a joy for me, seriously, to be here. I, I do want to say hello to many of you uh, before I get a chance. Unfortunately, I do have to leave tomorrow because uh, uh, many. I have my church tomorrow in uh, Los Angeles. Not tomorrow, Sunday, but I have to be back. Um, but I do like so much to say hello to people and to, and to meet them. I, I, I went to speak to the committee and to talk to some of them, uh, because for me, uh, and believe me, I'll give you the best talk I can tonight, but for me, connection, connection is very, very, very important. To be able to connect with people, it doesn't take a minute to say hello. It doesn't take a second to smile. And we've forgotten the art of that. And And I believe that... Uh, there's nowhere else on this planet, except in 12-step meetings, where anybody is interested in your story. Think about it. <coughs> Nobody is interested. Everybody's watching radio, TV, listening to a band. I mean, anybody's anywhere but listening to this. Nowhere on this planet 
other than in 12 step, will you find anybody who really wants to listen to your story. And if you don't, if you don't share your story, you'll never be known. I'm, and, and, and by the way, this is not a religious program, it's a spiritual program. Uh, I, I happen, as you can see, to be religious. <laughs> well, maybe I should let you decide that at the end of the talk. <laughs> but, but what I wanted to tell you is, although I'm Episcopalian, by the way, I was raised, raised Roman Catholic. I was raised by the Jesuits to be a Jesuit. Uh, and I left in 1971. So, uh, I was raised Roman Catholic. I'm Episcopal today, which is, by the way, the religion of my mother. But what I know is that this program is not a religious program. It never has been, it never should be. It's a spiritual program. There's a big difference. Somebody said it so beautifully, religion is man-made, spirituality is God-given. Religion divides people up. I'm Catholic, I'm Protestant, I'm Methodist. Spirituality teaches the world to hold hands. So this is a spiritual program, not a religious program. Do you like that? That's very important. Now I happen, I happen uh, to be Episcopalian, but uh, I've spoken in India... Last year I was in India, in Delhi, speaking in recovery. I've spoken in Thailand. I've spoken in Israel. And I've spoken in Islamic countries, Muslim countries. The only reason I say this is the 12-step program is the same whether you're in India or America or in Israel. Okay, so it's very important for us because some people in this room are not religious. And if you're a newcomer, you sometimes use the term God because you think, oh, I don't want to go to 12-step meetings because they push God down your throat. Well, first of all, we shouldn't be pushing God down anybody's throat. And secondly, don't worry because it's not religion, it's spiritual. And I've defined spirituality just so that you get a flavor, a flavor of me. I've defined spirituality as being a positive and a creative human being. The spiritual awakening is when you become positive and when you become creative. And the reason is when we were drinking, we were negative about ourselves and we were destructive in our behavior. So how you know if somebody is in recovery is, are they positive? It's a good day. Are they creative? What can I do to improve my life and the life of the people I love? Alcoholics, drug addicts, people in addiction are invariably negative and invariably destructive in their lifestyle. It doesn't matter what the, uh, what the particular co- compulsion or addiction is. So this is a very, that's how you have the spiritual awakening. You wake up. So you're happy. So check your, have a look at your face. Check your face out every now and again. Every now and again, just check your face out. And, and, and just say, we're recovering. Let your face know. <laughs> Serious. Just say, just check it out and you'll be surprised. I go up to people, go up to people during this weekend if you see somebody. Say, we're recovering. Tell your face. As you probably can tell, I'm not from Ohio. Yes, I'm from England. Wonderful country, England. We, you have D. Martin. Well, you did. We had Winston Churchill. I don't know whether you know, Winston Churchill was very fond of a drink. In fact, if you read some books about Winston, Winston used to drink about a bottle of uh, a bottle of brandy a day. 
the lovely story told about Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill was having dinner with Lady Astor. And Lady Astor turned to Winston Churchill and said, Winnie, Winnie, you're drunk. And Winston Churchill, in his inimitable way, said, Madam, you are ugly. But I shall wake up sober in the morning. She was, she was quick, she was quick to say to him, she said, Winnie, Winnie, if I was your wife, I'd put poison in your soup. Madam, if I was your husband, I'd drink it. Now, the only reason, the only reason I share that with you is because if you, if you listen to any of the jokes told about the alcoholic, there are aspects of the disease revealed in the joke. You talk about the insanity, see the arrogance of Winston, the manipulation, tricky dicky behavior. Many of us who are alcoholics made family members feel they were the ones who were sick. They were the ones that needed to go to the hospital. Now, we do have some Alanons here, am I correct? Don't be shy. We've got Alanons here. Ah, good. Don't be shy, you never used to be. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. It's a lovely story. Yes, yes. A lovely story about uh, an Alanon with four years. How many years? No, come on, louder. How many years? Four. Four. But she married badly. She married a very old-fashioned man. And on their wedding night, they went to the bedroom. And the man, he took off his trousers, and he threw his trousers in the middle of the bedroom. He said, wife, get into those trousers. She said, I can't get into those trousers. He said, no. And don't you ever forget who wears the trousers in this marriage. Now, how many years did she have in Al-Anon? Four. Four. She did no more. She took off her panties. And she threw her panties into the middle of the bedroom. She said, husband, get into those panties. He said, I can't get into those panties. She said, no, and you won't until you change your attitude. <laughs> now, some of you may be thinking, what's recovery? Got to do with panties. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> yes. But by the way, it's true. It's true. It's true what I'm saying. Sometimes I'll say something and you'll start laughing and you think it's funny, but you get the tape. You listen afterwards. It's not so funny. It's rather serious. See, what it's about is, you see, boundaries. We no longer are people pleasers. If you work this program, you're no longer just saying things to please people. Your life now, if you follow this program, is based on spiritual principle. You don't do just what other people want you to do. It's very interesting. It's a really, it's about power. We are powerless when we drink. Always remember this. We are powerless when we drink. Our life is unmanageable when we drink. But once you embrace recovery, you experience power, spiritual power. And your life becomes manageable. You pay your bills. You know where you went on vacation. You know who you went with. These are important truths. 
Somebody shared with me, it's funny, I'm not going to let you have it, but I will share it with you. See, I'm still a selfish alcoholic, really. Little funny thing, it's a funny thing, but you may be interested in this. It says, listen, welcome, it says, welcome to the psychiatric hotline. If you're obsessive-compulsive, please press 1 repeatedly. If you are if you are codependent, please ask somebody else to press two. If you are if you have multiple personalities, please press one, two, three, and four. If you are paranoid, delusional, we know who you are. Just stay on the line till we trace your call. If you're schizophrenic, listen carefully and a little voice inside your head will tell you which number to press. If you're manic depressive, it doesn't matter which number you press. No one will answer. Thank you for calling the psychiatric hotline. Did you like that? People in this hotel, all over this hotel, they're going to be aware of something tonight. And all over your weekend. And that is that recovering people have as much fun as they do. Recovering people are kind and courteous, courteous. We will be the best people that they have here at the hotel. Because at whatever level you are in your recovery, and I realize there are some new in recovery, and some who have been here for many years, this program is based on spiritual principles. And think about what I've said when you go home or in your car going home. It's about power. Spiritual power. The enemy of the alcoholic is fear. Power heals fear. It's about risk. The enemy of the alcoholic is being unable to take risks because of fear. Power is about taking those risks and moving beyond the place where you are. This is the promise of this program. For anybody who's here for the very first time, it's only the first step, first step that mentions alcohol. All the other 11 steps talk about how we spiritually change our lives. Do you see? Do you see in a way, it's a small word, S-E-E. I happen, as a Christian, to follow very much the teachings of Jesus. He was about, do you see? Do you see what's going on in your life? Because if you don't see, that's denial. Nobody in this room can make anybody get well. If we could, we certainly would do that. All we can do is be an example, and not an example of being weak, and not an example of being codependent, and not an example of being manipulative or angry. It's about being serene. Now there is a story which is a very old, we're it's the old story, we're talking old. It's old. O-L-D-E, old. It's about a man that dies and goes to heaven. And he's knocking on the gates of heaven. And God says, who is it? And the man says, it's me. And God says, go away. He thinks this is ridiculous. Here I am at the gates of heaven, I want to get in. Goes back and knocks again. God says, who is it? The man says, it's me, George. He says, go away, George. He thinks this has got to be the most ridiculous thing in the world. Here I am at the gates of heaven. Why can't I get... And then he realizes. He goes back to the gates and knocks. And God says, who is it? And the man says, it's you. And God says, come in. 
Can you find God in your life? That's what's going to make the difference. Not can you find God in a church or crucifix or Bible or even a big book. It's whether you can find God in your life. And that's what's going to make you a winner. And it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter who your favorite Al-Anon speaker is or AA speaker is. Or whether it's Melody Beatty. It doesn't matter. She writes for codependence. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who. I know you can find God in the sky. And some of you have even been able to find God in the rainbow. Shell by the beach. But the bottom line is going to come in your life when you can find God in yourself. And if you come over and thank me, and I hope you do, after this talk, thank you, Father Leo, thank you, Leo, whatever you want to say, I'm going to say to you, thank you. Thank you for listening. Now, my suspicion is, if you're anything like me, we miss ourselves in our lives. We don't miss others. We're very, very good at taking care of others. We need to start to take care of ourselves. And that's when you become a program of attraction. Because people will say, I want what you have. And some people will say it like that because they've said it like that. Some cases, for many years, I want what you have. But some they don't say it, but that's what they mean. When you are asked to think about the 12th step, having had a spiritual awakening, what does that mean for you? Okay? It means a complete transformation. And I don't care which program you're in. Now before I share my story, which I'll do, don't worry, I will. Promise. I happen to believe that one of the greatest miracles that took place on this planet was when a man called Bill met a doctor called Bob. And this great miracle of sharing took place. A man called Bill, Bill Wilson, met Dr. Bob. And this great miracle of sharing. Now hear me now, sharing. That was what happened. Bill wanted to drink. Bob was drinking. Together they shared. And he shared honestly and a miracle was born. I happen to believe that that miracle of Bob meeting Bill at that time, if only the world could share like Bill and Bob. Wouldn't it be an incredible thought if the world was being taken back to God by one alcoholic sharing with another. Now what the big book says to me is, say what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And by the way, that is not for me. I know my story. It is for you, when you're listening to my story, to be able to have little moments, many little moments, when you say, wow, that's kind of, kind of, because it's not going to be exactly, that's kind of what happened to me. And this story that the big book says I should share with you, this is for you. It is for you to get in touch with your story. Oh, I started to drink when I was about 14, 15 years of age in a private English school in England for boys. They used to give us beer, beer to drink. And it wasn't so much that I liked the taste and it wasn't so much that I got drunk, but I liked how I felt when I drank. I'm five foot seven. Five foot eight on a very good day. <laughs> hey, but when I drank, I felt six foot two. I felt bigger. 
I had a stutter, a stutter, I had a stutter. When I drank, the stutter left. I thought I found power in a drink. And I was to drink through universities in England, some of the best. Some of the best universities in England. And eventually I was to be ordained in the Episcopal Church, which of course is the Church of England in England, after I'd left the Roman Church. In 1971. And I was let loose on a parish. And just like you are to have an excuse to drink, so did I. And I said to the other priests, the lost and the lonely, those sheep without a shepherd, they need me. And I know where they all are. They're in the bar. Now, if you walk into a bar dressed like this, people notice you. People say it's a penguin at the end of the bar. A walking oil slick's just come in. And everybody wants to talk to you. Well, people like to talk to priests anyway, but everybody wants to talk to you. People say, oh, God, you're the kind of priest we like. You're down to earth like we're down to earth. You drink like we drink. You smoke like we smoke. Oh, Jesus sent you to us. You're special. You throw up like we throw up. Oh, you're one of us. God, you're one of us. People buy you drinks, buy you double, buy you triple. And God, you were just having fun. And then people would start to come from the bar to a church. My church was packed. It's packed. One woman said to her husband, Shall we stay at home and listen to Benny Hill? Or shall we go to church and listen to Father Leo? Same thing's going to happen. <laughs> I've always said it and it's true. If you're an alcoholic, if you're an alcoholic and you drive a bus, there's going to be times you're drunk in your bus. If you're an alcoholic and a nurse, there's going to be times you're drunk in the hospital. If you're an alcoholic and a housewife, there's going to be times you're drunk doing the cleaning. If you're an alcoholic and a priest, there's going to be times you're drunk doing services. I remember once doing a funeral. Drunk. I followed the coffin into the hole. I tell you, it's real scary when you hear the amens coming from above. <laughs> but it was an Irish funeral. It was an Irish funeral. Nobody cared. And there's a priest in the hole. We got a priest in a hole. Full of dirt. Let's get him out. They just pulled me out. I was full of dirt. We carried on. Then afterwards we went back and drank some more. This is no big problem. Nobody knows about that unless I tell you. Because only the people at the funeral were there. But the next issue was bigger. We in England used to do baptisms at three o'clock in the afternoon. Now it was a big baptism. Everybody came to this baptism. We're talking big. It's big. B-I-G-G-E. Big. This was big. Relatives flew in. Neighbors were there. They were having a hap, hap, happy time. And then I arrived. Now I wasn't, no, no. I wasn't drunk. I was mellow. 
Now, you know, when you're mellow, you don't need any help. When you're mellow, you think you can drive. When you're mellow, you just know, you think, you think you're the bee's knees. When you're mellow, you think you know exactly what you're doing. So I arrived and I was mellow. Give me the baby. Give me the baby. Give me the baby. And I baptized the baby in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Daphne. I didn't ask anybody. Daphne. The mother, she let loose such a scream. Ah! She said, Father Leo, it's the little boy. I said, I don't care what the hell it is. It's Daphne now. She said, is there anything we can do about it? I said, no. No. Forever and a day, he will be called Daphne. How do you make amends to a thing like that? Well, anyway, the players carried on. Sent her home. You know, when you're mellow, go home. I got on with my work. Two days later, two days later, I got a telephone call from the bishop. Now, maybe you got a telephone call from your employer. A bishop is only a, an employer dressed in purple. I got a telephone call from the bishop, and the bishop said, Booth, that's my name. I said, yes. He said, I'd like to see you tomorrow at nine o'clock. And put the phone down. I thought, why does the bishop want to see me? I'd forgotten about the baptism. Why does the bishop... Then I got it. Promotion. <laughs> I go to see the bishop, and the bishop... It says, Bishop's got a letter in his hand. The bishop says, I've got a letter! A letter! A letter! I said, good! He said, it's about you, you fool. He said, a mother's written to me. About you. Are you sick? Are you demented? Are you having a nervous breakdown? And then he looked at me straight in the eyes. He was a small man. He looked at me straight in the eyes. <laughs> he said, had, had you been drinking? Had you been drinking? Now see if you can identify with this. Who? Me? I swear on the Bible, no. I swear on the Bible, no. But he didn't believe me. But he couldn't prove it. <laughs> Have you ever been in that situation when you know you're telling a lie and they know you're telling a lie and you know that they know you're telling a lie but they can't prove it? <laughs> ah, but he said, quit it. He said, I want you to quit it. I said, quit it. He said, quit it. I said, just quit it. He said, just Quit it. I said, I'll quit it. He said, good, quit it. So I'm driving home, I'll quit it. Here's a funny thing. Cunning. Powerful. Patient. I didn't drink for six months. Oh, I'm not the only one in this room. You know what's strange? The fact that I didn't drink for six months made me think I was an alcoholic. Cunning, baffling, powerful. Oh! Impatient. Because I didn't drink, I didn't think I had a problem. 
Because I didn't drink for six months, I didn't think I had a problem. It's incredible. You know what kills alcoholics? The myths. In 1996, it's still the myths that kill us. That if I'm not drunk for six months, I can't be alcoholic. Or if I only drink beer, I can't be alcoholic. Or if I don't drink all day and every day, I can't be alcoholic. Or if I don't drink in the morning, because alcoholics drink in the morning, if I don't drink in the morning, cannot be alcoholic. You've got to be 37 to be alcoholic. The myths. The myths in 1996 are as bad as they were in the 1970s for me when I got sober. And all you need to know is that I went home to my house and I stopped drinking for six months. Was I sober? No. I was dry. For six months I was dry. And by the way, many speakers who've stood before you, like myself, will say again, those were the most painful years. I didn't drink, but I wasn't going to a meeting. I wasn't using this program. I didn't see a therapist. I just quit it. And you know the word dry is so appropriate, dry. Because dry is like a dry leaf. Dry is like a dry leaf. Any pressure that you put on a dry leaf, it snaps. Maybe there are people in this room who are dry. You snap. Any pressure, you snap. I went to speak at a big Dallas, Dallas convention. A couple of years ago, a man came to pick me up in an Oldsmobile. He had seven years. He was driving and the lights changed. You know the lights in Dallas? The lights changed. He stopped you and, God, I hate it when the lights I said, don't worry, they'll change back. (laughs) Dry, believe you me, some people dry, seven years but dry. I saw his wife. Talk about a woman in pain. It's a man who could lose his temper so quick, he wasn't drinking but dry. Remember, the leaf. Any pressure, and you lose it. We have sayings in this room to help us. Live, and let love live. Easy does it. Think. 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 I was dry for six months. Wasn't sober. And then, ladies and gentlemen, out of the blue, it was a Wednesday. Wednesday. People think things don't happen on a Wednesday. It's a Wednesday. Rainy, rainy day in England, Wednesday. Not Saturday, not New Year's Eve, not the 4th of July, Wednesday. Raining. Telephone goes, somebody invites me to a party. I don't want to go. Don't want to go to this party. But they say, come on, somebody's 21st. I go. I'm standing there with 7-Up. I'm fizzed out on 7-Up. I've been drinking it for six months. And here's a coincidence. Here we go. Coincidence. You know, coincidence is God working a miracle anonymously. Coincidence was that at this party, a lady who knew me from a church years ago was there. And she said, Father Leo, what are you drinking? And I said, Seven up. She said, but you're a gin and tonic man. I said, no, seven up. Seven up. Been drinking seven up for six months. Seven up. She said, have a gin and tonic. I said, no. She said, go on. I said, okay. That's how it happened. That's how it happened. Now, some people say it's a slip. S-L-I-P. He had a slip. A slip. A slip. Father Leo had a slip. Gin and tonic slip. 
That's what happened to him, a slip. Let me tell you something, I don't believe in slips. Don't believe in them. Slips are what you do with bananas. You see, you know, nobody looks for a banana, right? You slip, you don't see the banana. Let me tell you something with these slips. You tell me I don't know what I'm doing? You mean that I didn't know that it was gin and tonic? You mean I didn't say yes? You mean I was in some kind of blackout? No. Did I put the glass to my lips? Yes. Did I swallow? Fuck off. Yes. What kind of slip? It's a drink. That's what you call it, a drink. Don't say you had a slip, you had a drink. You check out when these people tell you they had a slip. It's almost like they're not there. They didn't swallow. Believe you me, when you check out slips, it's having a drink. I had a drink, and some of you here may say, Oh, what? Bet you any money he hadn't had a drink for six months. He would have been as drunk as a skunk. But this disease is cunning. Baffling. Powerful. And hear me again, very patient. I had two drinks. Gin and tonic and I went home. Drove home. Went to bed. Woke up in the morning. Where's my watch? Where's my watch? I've left the watch at the party. So I called the barman. George, his name. George, you got a watch? Found a watch in the restroom. It's mine. He said, I'll keep it for you. I said, right, coming over. Same bar, same barman. I go over. He gives me the watch. And then he says, Have one for the road. Last night I had two drinks. Didn't get drunk. That morning when I took that drink from him with the watch, the lion, the lion was disturbed. And if you're an alcoholic in this room, you know exactly what I mean. Oh, I knew that I wanted not just that one drink, but I wanted another, and I knew I needed another. And by three o'clock in the afternoon, after drinking at different bars, I really was as drunk as a skunk. And I was dressed like this, but I was still drunk as a skunk. And it was three o'clock in the afternoon, and I was driving home, but I didn't make it home. Or perhaps I really did. Perhaps I did make it home. Because my car hit a tree and it hit a lamppost. My car hit a tree, hit a lamppost, and the car shot up in the air. Just shot up in the air. Two old ladies in a garden said, look, there goes Father Leo. That's how he travels now. But I didn't stay up there. I came down, crash, bang, wallop, and I was cut, and I was bleeding. My face was cut. Car turned over. Nobody else was hurt but me. What a mess. You talk a mess? Mess. And I was sitting at the side of the road, and I was hurt, and the ambulance was going to come. And if you've ever been in a car crash, or you've ever been in a mess like that, People are screaming and the ambulance is coming and there's a police car there. Lights going. And in that moment, I had an experience. And I call it a moment because it's a moment when I saw myself. A moment, you follow me now, when I saw myself. I saw me. Remember that short word? C-S-E-E. I saw myself. 
I saw me hurt and I saw me bleeding and I didn't like what I saw. I didn't want to be that kind of man and I knew then I wanted more than anything on this planet to change. Now, if you're an alcoholic who had a car crash like me, maybe you can identify with that. But let me tell you something. This moment is not just about a car crash. For many of you, the moment came when your wife looked at you and said, It's over, Frank. It's over. I'm not staying here any longer. It's not because I don't love you, because I love you. It's not because I don't love you. Because I need to love myself. There are many moments and maybe her saying that to you, Frank, was like the car crash for me. For some people, for some people it's when you go to see your parents and your parents are crying and they're sad. They're old people, but they're sad and they're lonely and they're tired because yet again, yet again, and yet again, you've screwed them up and they are so sad, and they're your parents, and you love your parents more than anything in the world. But sometime the moment is when you go to get hold of your little daughter. It's your daughter, it's your little boy. And you get hold of your son, your daughter, and your son and daughter doesn't want to be touched by you. And you love that little girl or that little boy more than anything on the planet. The moment Every one of you here has a moment. A moment that brought you here. It could have been the DUI. It could have been being told by a doctor. It could have been all the things that I've said. But I know this. You had a moment. Whether you've been here 30 years or whether you've been here 30 days, it's still a moment. And every 12-step talk, every 12-step pitch revolves around that moment for Al-Anon, for sex addiction, for codependency, for eating disorders, for AA. It's all the same. When you can say, truly my life was unmanageable, and I felt powerless. Now I would love to be able to say to everybody here tonight that just having that moment would keep you sober. I'd love to say that, except it's not true. Every alcoholic who's still drinking tonight had that moment. In fact, truth to tell, we've had many moments. What then is the difference? between those of us in this room who are celebrating our sobriety and the alcoholic who's still drinking. You know what it is? We have kept our moment alive. This has been described, this meeting, these meetings have been described as programs of remembrance. The Jews the Jews have a saying after the Holocaust that we remember lest the world forget. We remember so that it doesn't all come back. They were talking of the Holocaust. We are talking about an alcoholic Holocaust but it's based on the same remembrance. We meet here, some of us in smoky rooms, some of us with coffee that is not the best. We meet here sometimes very tired after a long drive, but we meet here to remember. And the Alanon speaker before me made it so that I remembered, and hopefully I am getting it so that some of you remember. The incident does not have to be the same. The result, though, is the same. But if you forget your moment, if you forget your moment, you relapse. And I've never met a person who hasn't relapsed, who didn't stop coming to this program meeting, 
I've never met a person relapse who had a sponsor and really worked the sponsor. I've never met a person who relapsed, who, who read the big book and the other books of 12 steps. But I have met every relapsed person who didn't have a sponsor, who never went to meetings, who didn't read the big book and ceased, ceased to identify. We have a moment and you have a moment. And our job, our job as speaker, reader, 12-step calls, sharer, discussion group, big book study, it's all the same. How do you make that moment come alive? Because believe you me, the pushers will make the drugs come alive. For us to be a program of attraction, we have to have an excitement about our program and recovery, just like they did over 50 years ago when Bill and Bob first met. Because believe you me, that excitement is infectious. There's an energy in a room that comes when people are alive with the spiritual principle. I wasn't joking. One of the things that I said before I was introduced was the part part of the sentence that you may have missed. Perhaps I said it too quick. But it is. Sobriety is the most important thing in my life. It's before priesthood. It's before my parents. It's before anything else. You know why? Because without that, I have nothing. I don't have priesthood. I don't have a family. I don't have a job. I don't have help. I have nothing. That's the point. This is the celebration of my life because without it, there is no life. And I picked up the telephone and I spoke to that same bishop. And I said, I'm in a hospital because I've had a car crash and I need help. He said, Leo, go to a treatment center. Seventeen years ago, I went to a treatment center. I've not had a drink since. You know what was strange? It was on the 4th of July. We don't keep the 4th of July in England. But I do. It's my recovery day. Here, funny thing, exciting thing is this. I then went into the treatment centre and I started to come into 12-step meetings. And i got to tell you, 12-step meetings, they excited me more than anything in the world. I love the 12-step meetings. Because they gave me a view of spirituality I never had from my church. That's why I could say to you what I said to you. Spirituality, religion are the same. What does that 12-step program say to you and me? Incredible, it says. Discover a God as you understand God. Not a God of a Pope. Not a God of a Bishop. Not a God of a Minister. Not a God of a Rabbi. Not a God of a Mullah. Find a God as you understand God. Because that's the only God worth having. And sometimes people make a mistake. They think, and that, and part of it is because we were raised in a culture where we never affirm ourselves. We always affirm others. And so even in our recovery, if you're not careful, you can miss yourself in recovery. So you thank everybody but yourself. Think about what I've said. When you get other people's tapes, listen to them. How many people do you hear at a podium want to thank people? And they say, I want to thank my wife, Alice. I want to thank my sponsor, George. Thank George. I want to thank Bill and Bob for starting this wonderful program. Oh, Bill and Bob. I want to thank all of you for being here. If there was a dog, they'd thank the dog. they thank God. But who do they miss? 
himself. Listen! Listen to the tapes! I'll tell you why I'm here, because I'm here. Every step says we admitted, who admitted, we did. Who came to believe, I came to believe. Who made a decision, you made a decision. Who had the spiritual experience, you did. Listen to the tapes. This program has never been about God, it's about you. This program is not about others, it's about you. It's a very personal program for a very personal disease called alcoholism. It robs you of your life, it robs you of your energy, it robs you of your happiness, it robs you of everything that is noble about you. God wants you to love yourself. Why do you think? There are so many books today, all the same. Why am I afraid to tell you who I am, wrote the Jesuit. I'm afraid to tell you who I am because if I tell you who I am, will you still love me? The biggest problem facing many of us today is not a love of God. It's a love of ourselves. It's not a love of our husbands or our wives. It's a love of ourselves. It's not a love of Bill or Bob or our sponsors. It's a love of ourselves. Trust me. You take the tape. You listen. When you come to the podium, make sure that you always, when you thank everybody else, you thank yourself. Because you came here. You came here in the snow, as did I. You took your time and you planned your itinerary. So did I. You will make this a special weekend. You will. You will greet people or you won't. It's on you. When I've sponsored people and because of the work I do now, I'm not able to do anywhere near the sponsoring I did. But I believe so much in sponsorship. But sponsorship is sometimes challenging people to think, not to repeat. Anybody can repeat what people say. But to think makes people noble. Sometimes people seem to be saying to God, and it's a great danger, I think, sometimes people seem to be saying to God, God, take my life. Take my life. God, take my life. And God's up there saying, no. And you say, take my life. God, take my life. And God says, no. Then God looks at you straight in the eyes and says, Why you return again? I gave you life. Live it. Struggle. Fight. Have pain. And have success. But live it. This program doesn't say hand your life. It says turn your life. What's the point in coming to these meetings and remaining a victim? It's not about being a victim. Because you can be lost in these rooms. It's so easy to come and almost do a transference from your addiction to this. And to still miss yourself. The 12-step program doesn't talk about handing your life over. It talks about turning, turning your life in a new direction. And you'll know when you do it. You'll know when you do it because people will be surprised. Your behavior, your attitude, your thinking will start to change. Time often beats. There are so many other things I would love to share with you. I have taken my 12-step program into my religion. And the bishop asked me to take a church in Los Angeles. It's a small church. We're talking small. Small. There were 14 people there. Small. But I want you to know that I said to the bishop, and I'm serious, because he says, practice these principles in all our affairs. 
You have your families. You have your jobs. I have a church. I said to my bishop, I will, t- I will take on this church on one condition. That I can take the 12-step program into my church. Because if I can take my 12-step program into my church, I can make a sick church. And it was sick. An unhealthy church. Healthy, just like any other family. 80% of my church today is recovering. 80%. The other 20% should be. Bottom line is, just for you to know, 1977 I got sober. When I got sober in 1977, in 1981 I came to the United States to live in Los Angeles, Long Beach, where I live today. I'd never written a book in 1977. Now I've written six. I'd never been on television. Now I've been on all the major programs. Oprah Winfrey. And with Oprah when she was fat, when she was thin. Serious. Sally Jesse Raphael Donahue. Geraldo, that was a trip. I'm telling you the truth. This program changes your life. I do now for recovering people, recovery cruises, spiritual cruises, based on challenge and based on connection. So many things. Say to you if you want information on any of that stuff, I have it after the meeting. But all I want to share with you is this program will change your life. If you want it to change. It's not about others. It's never been about others. It's about you. Those of you who will be winners will be those of you at a gut-soul level will understand that. I end my talk to you tonight. By sharing with you something that's not from the big book. And it's not from the Bible. It's a song. About three, four years ago in Atlanta, Georgia, I spoke at a very large AA conference, convention. I would have thought 2,000 people were there. And there was one young man who was there sitting at the side who came with a recovery group. He was an alcoholic, but he was also recovering from crack. After the meeting, as he was shaking hands and wanted to talk, he said, Father Leo, you talked about the moment. And your moment was a car crash. Father Leo, do you think you can have a moment with a song? I said, oh, surely. He said, the song that changed my life. That was my moment, like a crash for me. I was in an apartment in Atlanta and I was going to prostitute myself again for money, for crack and alcohol. I'd done it before, I was going to do it again. And I was putting on my coat to go out to get the crack. And on the radio, I heard a song. By the way, I'd heard this song a thousand times before, Father Leo, but this time... This time I heard it. The reason I share it with you is because the group that sang the song came from your country. The song he was talking about was from the Beatles. The words of the song that changed David's life, his name was David. So that he was able to see himself in a way he'd never seen himself before for the words from this Beatles song. Who knows? Maybe it will impact somebody here tonight, like it impact David. Maybe you'll pass on the words. The words of the song, that some of you know, were these. When I was a young man, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. But now those days have gone. I'm not so self-assured. Now I find I've changed my mind and I've opened up the door. 
so help me if you can. I'm feeling down. And I do appreciate you being around. Help me get my feet back on the ground. Won't you please? Please help me. And he said, Father Leo, there was help for me. I said, I know David. Because years before there was help for me too. That's my message to you tonight. There is help for you if you want it. If you want it. I mean, if you really want it, more than anything else in this whole world, there is help for you. And the three things you're promised are very quick. You will live again like you have never lived before. You will love again and start to love yourself like you have never loved before. And God willing, the last, many of you will discover that you will laugh again. Laugh like you've never laughed before. Thank you very much for listening.